You're listening to Sharp Scratch, episode 25, COVID-19 special. This is a podcast brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection, where we talk about all the things you want to know to be a good doctor, but that you might not get to in medical school. I'm Anna, and I'm a final year medical student at King's, and I'm also the editorial scholar at the BMJ. And I'm here to say, uh, not in the studio, but quite strangely in the comfort of my own home, um, but I am joined via video link by our panel members, Declan and Laura. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Yeah, so hi, I'm Declan. Um, I'm currently sitting on the floor in my bedroom. Um, I'm an F1 doctor in the north of England, and I'm currently working on an um, acute respiratory ward. Oh, are you really? I am indeed. Crikey. Um, I'm Laura, uh, and I'm a fifth-year medical student at the University of Cambridge. Well, I'm a fifth year. I'm not in my final year. There's six years in my course. So um, at the moment, I am in my house, revising in a sort of limbo where we would have had placement, and that's me. Also, for anyone who um, follows Laura on Twitter, um, she's shaved her head, and it looks great. (laughs) Yeah, I'll have to put some pics on Twitter. Yeah, Um, you should. You should. Okay, cool. Well, today we're going to be talking about the subject that I guess is on everyone's mind, COVID-19. To anyone who listens to us regularly, don't worry, we'll be back to our usual scheduling soon. But given the amount of disruption that COVID has caused for med students and junior doctors, we really thought it would be slightly remiss of us um, not to put out a special episode where we chat about it. So it's going to be a slightly longer episode today. Um, We're hearing from three different sets of people who have had different um, experiences with the disruption that COVID's caused. So first up, we're going to be hearing from the BMA Medical Students Committee, who've been kind of working behind the scenes um, to advocate for medical students. Um, Then we're going to hear from Tanya, who's a final year medical student who's recently started working in um, hospital as a, a medical student assistant. Um, which sounds quite similar to the interim FY1 roles um, that are going to be coming up quite soon. And then last of all, we're going to hear from Cassandra and Ronald, who have built an app to link up med students who have loads of free time to healthcare staff who need an extra pair of hands. So let's get straight into it and let's hear from the BMA. Yeah, hi, my name is Chris Smith. Um, I'm a medical student at Southampton University and I'm one of the co-chairs of the BMA's Medical Students Committee. Hello, my name is Stephen Knowles. Uh, I'm a final year medical student at Imperial and I am the deputy chair of the BMA's Medical Student Committee and I lead on all of our work on the well-being of medical students. I guess what I'm interested in is kind of how you guys cope with um, this kind of rumour mill. There's so many rumours, we don't know what's going on. Um, obviously, there's always going to be this lag for national guidance because it takes you know, a little bit of time for people to collect their thoughts and really kind of look at what is going to be best. Well, th- as soon as we, we got any idea of anything that would come through, we'd reach out to um, the relevant people. So whether that be the GMC, the Medical Schools Council that represents all of the medical schools throughout the UK. Um, we've spoken to other unions and we've spoken to people in the NHS um, and all of them have been extremely transparent, extremely helpful and very honest about what they expect to happen and what they will want in their students to do. 
so it was just about maintaining those good links of con uh, communication, you know, double checking everything to make sure that this is exactly what was going on. Um, and our local reps were absolutely key in this. I mean, as soon as they got wind of something that was going on locally, they go back to the source, they check it out with other people at their hospitals or at their medical schools. And we work with the teams that we've got at the BMA to get the concrete information out there um, so that members knew as soon as possible what they could expect. Yeah, I think I think it's it, it's been challenging because... There's so much speculation out there, and I think that that's a natural reaction when you haven't got the full picture. But, but you know, I've seen I've seen lots of people um, jumping to certain conclusions based on little tidbits of information that they've got from various friends at various different medical schools. And of course, I I think that that's something that everyone's always gonna try and clutch for to try and find some certainty in amongst you know a really uncertain situation. So, you know, it's been, it's been challenging seeing people kind of responding to things that perhaps being in the national role, you're a bit more in the loop about, but you, you don't really want to comment on until everything is properly confirmed. Um, I mean, I remember I remember um, there was a draft document about the way that allocations are going to happen for the interim foundation jobs going going out. Um and we knew that wasn't like an official document, but yet people were still speculating based on that. And it's really difficult sometimes to uh, try to answer people's questions and reassure them and then add in this huge caveat at the end. But this could all completely change in a day. Um, and that seems to be the situation that we're in where we're, we're, we're giving people updates and then 12 hours or even 24 hours later, the situation is just completely evolving into something different. And I think the, probably the best example of that is that for so long, um, there was absolutely no suggestion that medical students were going to be registered early, provisionally registered early. And then all of a sudden you see the health secretary on TV announcing it and we're all trying to scramble to understand whether that was using the the powers out in the medical act or you know whether that was going to be via some other route so it was just a really bizarre situation to be in finally to wrap up i just want to make sure that the medical students out there um whether they be stepping up to work and becoming doctors whether they move into uh, other clinical roles or they start volunteering that they that they do know that someone's looking out for them and that they do have rights and they they do have um entitlements um, such as you know a good contract and um, support in the workplace um, and that if you have doubts about any of that or you see something that just makes you feel uneasy um, you know you've been working in clinical environments a lot of people for a long time and that that's probably a right thing to be feeling um, so if there's anything that you need support with reach out to the BMA at times like this if you're a final year we've actually frozen all of the membership payments until October um, so it's free for the final years. The BMA has a 24-7 a counselling service available for doctors and medical students and also we've recently expanded that to cover not just doctors and medical students but also their family because I think that we recognise that you know these are really challenging uh, circumstances and it's not just having a, a negative effect on the well-being of people on the front line doctors and medical students it's also their families who they come home to who they have to share the burden of the things that they're coping with at work. So Laura you're actually the only one of us here who's at med school at the moment um so I guess does this ring true like this whole thing about hearing so many rumors I mean I know that I was being forwarded like screenshots from emails that like the dean had sent out to my year at med school and stuff and and no one was really sure if it was official mm. um was that something that that you kind of experienced as well yeah i mean fortunately at our med school they have been 
explicit about what they do and do not know and about things that are underway or not underway. And astonishingly, they've done a really good job of somehow giving us clarity about what they do and do not know. But I think I've definitely experienced the sort of the rumour mill happening between students as we sort of ask each other what are we supposed to be doing, what can we do, what have you heard, what have you heard, particularly when it comes to sort of the kind of things that we can sign up for, you know, what what are we allowed to do, what are we not allowed to do. Um, and it's different for me, you know, I've spoken a lot with my mates who are in final year, the people that I used to be in a year group with before my year out at the BMJ, who hear one thing from the government and then they hear sort of wait from the clinical school. The clinical school says, wait, don't do anything. We are trying to draft guidelines. We're trying to draft good contracts. We're trying to make it clear in our local area, in all the hospitals attached to this medical school. So before you take that post, you know, because it's just been in the last, in, was it yesterday, today? No, it was this morning. Oh my goodness, time goes so fast. Just this morning on the day of recording that someone messaged me to tell me that they'd gotten their top preferred job for FY1. But everyone at my medical school is sort of on hold, waiting to hear what the clinical will say about what they should do between now and their first post. Um, I don't know if you guys have talked much to most students about this this idea that people can. I know at my uni people have this sort of choice of whether they want to do their what whether what they would have done as their apprenticeship in the local area near Cambridge, or whether they want to go and do this um, pre F one post in the area where they're going to do their F1 jobs. And that's something that people are weighing up at the moment. Is that something yeah, I think, about? yeah, I think um, the kind of official line is that um, people can, people are encouraged to stay within the locality of their medical school because of like support systems and stuff. Yeah. But yeah. obviously a lot of people are going to be wanting to go to where they're doing foundation because yeah. then that will mean that they don't have to like up sticks and move everything in August, yeah. which makes complete sense. But we um, have to up sticks and move right and now. Move and now. Pandemic, exactly. Baffles exactly. Me. <laughs> and and I think the other the other kind of thing that people are weighing up like final years is like whether they whether they should do the interim FY one or not. So I think that's that's another thing that there seems to be a lot of rumours around. I've seen people saying, Oh, we'll get preferential to you know there'll be preferential t- treatment for people who have volunteered and done these like interim fy1 roles um which i'm not really sure how that would work mm. um but i guess one, what i wanted to we can talk a little bit more about that later after we've heard from tanya who is a final year who has already been on the wards um kind of doing a little bit of the stuff that um is going to be kind of involved in these interim fy1 posts but um what i thought we could maybe talk a little bit bit about now is um this uncertainty like and I think as medics we're not really taught to to think about uncertainty no and (laughs) and we're we're taught like to be like okay you ask a patient what's wrong with them and you give them a diagnosis and then you give them a treatment and then they either get better or they don't um so you know what how do we actually deal with what is going to be a period of uncertainty that's going to last you know potentially over a year I mean you're so right Anna like I've spent today going through flashcards and for every question there is an answer there's no ambiguity and that's the way I'm preparing for exams if they happen who knows what's going to happen with those but um it's really odd going from having such a rigid structure you know this placement for two weeks this placement you know particularly in my current year at the moment we've been changing placements every two to four weeks sometimes placements are one week long um 
to be chopping and changing, always knowing where he's supposed to be to some extent. And to go for to go from that to this um, waiting game, uh, you know, sort of lots of self-directed study, which of course has always been part of the course, but to have that being the overwhelming majority of what I'm doing right now is is really strange and so demotivating. Like it's it's really hard to continue studying not knowing if I'm going to be able to do my final placements of the year, if I'm going to be able to sit my exams in the exam structure that we've been told so much about. Like we've had preparation lectures, a bunch of them preparing us for the exam format that we were going to have. Who knows if that's going to be applicable at all. And so it's hard to know how to study. It's hard to know um, whether to study now or to, to wait till later, seeing as it's going to be during what would have been my summer holidays and I'll probably have to study during my Christmas holidays for finals which have also been pushed back so it in this uncertainty it's it's just kind of left me at a loss I don't know if you well you guys have jobs so it's a bit different but I'm sure many med students listening would 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 relate to this kind of feeling of um the carpet just having been pulled out from underneath um that said I am in a fortunate position of being comfortable at my parents house um and having resources and uh, textbooks, PDFs and uh, adequate Wi-Fi and a quiet space to study. And I know that not all medicine students yeah, have not, that. Yeah, not so ridiculous that Wi-Fi is a human right now, is it? <laughs> I know, right? Um, yeah, so it's, you know, I'm in, I'm in a fortunate position that I'm relatively comfortable here. But, I, you know, I'm sure loads of med students are feeling just the same way, just kind of like a you know, sitting in front of your laptop being like, well, what's I'm supposed to be studying? I've been given some work to do, but what, what am I studying for at the moment? I, I say that. On the other hand, I do know it's so important that med students are studying right now. Like, I'm going to be graduating, hopefully, in a year and a half. People might be graduating in five years' time. Oh, my God, but don't it's say so that. important that we, we do keep studying. And I've been hearing from loads of med students, like, a sense of guilt, a sense of guilt and inadequacy that we're not um, clinical yet, that we're not, like... A qualified to I'm putting this in, in air quotes but like meaningfully help people when it's actually so important that we do study because we're going to be doctors in the future and we do need to still be preparing for that because in a year's time doctors are still going to yeah need, they're still going to need, need f1s exactly. in 2021 and 2022 exactly and um, we are going to be needed and so studying is not a waste of time even if it seems very individual and very selfish like it is very valuable to be putting that work in now for the future even if it's not really obvious how that is helping in the emergency right now so yeah mm. that's a lot of thoughts at once yeah. but yeah man it's so good to just no, to talk that's to great. this is face to face like i've really been missing that. this is basically like a, a group <laughs> therapy session um i yeah i've just been like sat at home feeling really weird and guilty for just continuing working at the bmj and not going and like all of my friends have graduated like they graduated last week which is super weird because on the one hand i am kind of like quite i guess selfishly i'm kind of like i'm quite glad that's not me and hopefully (laughs) i'm (laughs) i'm gonna have like all of the you know get to do my apprenticeship block and stuff which most of them have missed out on but at the same time it's a bit like oh i could be actually helping and instead i'm just but you know what you do is valuable right, like, you know it because you wrote it in your piece that one of the really valuable things you're doing right now is i read that piece you wrote you know that really that early one about covid and med students and it's so helpful that you, <laughs> that, you that you pulled together that information and you pulled together people's stories and you 
help people see what is going on at other med schools. Like that is so useful. Thanks, mate. You're welcome. Got you back. I appreciate the vote of confidence. <laughs> But Declan, what about you? Because there's been a lot of uncertainty for um, junior doctors as well, right? Like you've had your rotations cancelled? Yeah, so we're not we're not allowed to rotate at the moment. And also it's quite challenging, particularly for F1s, because we're still just provisionally registered with the GMC. So when as an F1 doctor, you have to do various different things towards something called the ARCP and then if you fill all of the criteria then you're allowed to progress to F2 but no one has a clue really what the crack is with the ARCP at the moment and that's particularly difficult for me actually because I've had four months less experience than everyone else so whether I will actually be able to be an F2 or whether I'll have to repeat some time as an F1 is still like a definite possibility. So yeah, it is. It is uncertain times, but I guess it's not quite as bad for us because we have a job to do, you know, we go every day. Like, I guess you just deal with whatever chaos is in front of you. Mm. But in terms of the future, and this is the time where people start thinking about specialty applications and stuff, um, job applications come up around November time. It's all up in the air really about what what is going to happen with that and we've been struggling to get stuff signed off then yeah well i've got some i need to find a lady to catheterize and that that's becoming <laughs> <laughs> that's becoming increasingly challenging and i just need to find one you were, um, you were talking about that when you were in the studio like a month ago i know man they are so, they're so hard to find um yeah but there's, there's also there's just various parts of the ARCP. Like for example, if you're off sick for twenty days, you then have to repeat those um, days and prolong your F one period. So there's people who have been having to self isolate for two weeks who may have already been off sick for two weeks. That takes them over the threshold, so people don't know whether they'll be able to progress or not. Yeah, no, that's that's gonna be a bummer if you're if you have to self isolate because it's the rules and then. Mm. In your isolation, you realise, oh damn, that's going to be an extension. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's it's all very uncertain. Mm. Mm. Do you think you get better at dealing with things being uncertain when you're an actual doctor? Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> I think what, one of the main challenges that I've kind of experienced on my ward is just how, how worried the other staff are. You know, particularly like healthcare's and some of the nurses and stuff. Everyone's understandably very concerned at the moment. Um, and as the doctor, you're the person that people come to to try and like resolve their problems. And I think you just kind of you deal with it day in day out. That you end up just being the chilled person with, you know, just having the <laughs> the broader perspective. Are you serious, to just... Declan? If you'd have said six months ago <laughs> that you'd be the person. That you being chilled whilst people come to you with their problems. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a chilled guy. I Six don't know months what you're ago, about. we were recording tips for new docs, and you were like, oh, uh, "I yeah. don't want any responsibility." That's what scares me the most. Look at you now, you man. Yeah, I look at you now. You Actually, it's a it's a great thing to mention. If any of you listening are about to become a doctor a bit earlier than you um, anticipated, we do have several episodes that would be relevant for you, including a lovely tips for new docs um, episode, which I don't know what number episode it is, eight. but it's there. 
It, oh, Laura That's does. Nice. Um, this is before I was at the BMJ, okay? So I can't be expected to know this kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, that is all there. And yeah, give it a listen. You can hear six months ago Declan talk about all the things that he didn't know before he started as a doctor. But Declan, has there been any like big changes in your hospital or like, on your ward? Um, so yes, m- massive changes. The whole structure of the trust is changing. Um, the way my trust is structured is we'll have one acute emergency hospital and then when people are stable, they go to a variety of, of different hospitals. Um, so all of surgery has been cancelled and essential surgery has all been moved to one hospital. Um, the kind of wards are changing to be just COVID hospitals. All of theatres has turned into ITU to make about 50 new ITU beds. Um, and kind of in terms of like, I guess, each individual kind of the PPE that's required changes day by day. You know, I mean, the guidance from the government changes day by day. Um, it just changed again today, by the way. Has it? So I'm probably not even up to date. Um so yeah, the entire structure of the trust is changing, but the the advice that we're getting changes every day, which makes everybody really uncertain. So yeah, it's very difficult. One thing you mentioned was that, like, with all surgery being cancelled and stuff, what does that mean for junior doctors who aren't changing rotations but are on surgical rotations? Yeah. Um, so I th- I think on the whole they're going to A and E. I think was the last thing that I heard. A lot of people are being redeployed, even people like... Um, Psychiatry and stuff. Like, yeah, like paediatric ST1s and 2s yeah. who haven't long, you know, been out of kind of general medicine mm. are being redeployed to general medical yeah. wards. And the way, um, I, the way even, I think that they were doing it all... Th- well, I've, I've heard this as a rumour, whether it's true or not, I'm not, I'm not too <laughs> we're sure. We're not supposed to be spreading <laughs> rumours. I know, but it's... It, okay, it's okay, so tell them, because we it, can it, cut it. It made me laugh. Um, apparently they got a group of like consultant orthopedic surgeons and were trying to teach them about ABGs because they might be um, having them going into ITU and apparently they were just freaking out because they haven't done it. No, I, I actually <laughs> saw, saw a video. I saw a video of some medical students, um, I think UCL medical students, teaching a group yeah, of yeah. consultant general surgeons <laughs> how to prone a patient in ITU. Yeah. Oh, wow. So there's some real, like, you know, flipped classroom med-ed learning going on. (laughs) Um, I guess if you can take anything positive from this, is that everyone's learning some new skills. Breaking down that hierarchy. (laughs) Okay, cool. Um, So next up, we're going to hear from Tanya, who has recently started working in the hospital um, in a role that sounds pretty similar to these interim FY1 posts. My name is Tanya Ta. I'm a final year medical student at Norwich Medical School and I have been volunteering to work in the NHS, specifically at the Norfolk and Norwich Hospital for the last two weeks as a senior medical student assistant on the wards. So I'd like to say that the process of the whole recruitment for um, my role is actually has been very efficient from the medical school as well as the Norfolk and Norwich University Hospital. Just to give you a brief timeline what actually happened, on the 16th of March, uh, we had an announcement, a, a formal announcement from the medical school that all the assessments of final year medical students 
own placements, including elective, had been cancelled due to the outbreak. On the same day, we actually received an email from um, the medical school as well as the Norfolk and Norwich Hospital um, asking us to sign up for, you know, expressing our interest in working in in an assistant role on the wards. So that was in the same day, on the same day. The next day, we had an email um, updating us about, you know, very brief information regarding the roles and what we'd be doing. And on Wednesday of the same week, which is two days after um, the whole thing, you know, started happening, uh, we actually received um, an email uh, with detailed information on our contract, our expected roles and responsibilities if we were to sign up to this, and also um, a, a survey to ask us which sort of speciality we would like to work in and what preference of working in terms of you know weekends or not weekends and um you know day how long and how many days can we work a week and i then responded to that email and i instantly got an email back saying that my induction and my ppe which is a personal protective equipment training would be happening on the day after which is thursday and I attended that and I started working on the ward on Friday. So that's how, how the timeline thing was happening. I have to be honest with you, when I first uh, signed up, um, you know, for the role, I was really anxious. Actually, the day before induction was quite scary. The thought of having to start four months. Obviously, I know that I'll be supervised and supported. It was quite scary, the thought of starting. But I went to my induction and um, I actually got allocated a supervisor who got in touch with us the first day um, of our you know working life I say um, and then you know we could get regular contact with her whatsapp and email and things like that so I feel really supported from the beginning of, um, of my job and you know so far in the last two weeks the team have been super supportive loads of, actually loads of teaching happens on on the ward routes with consultants and registrars who care enough to actually you know, explain what's going on, answer our question and everything. So, so far, I have been feeling quite supported and I'd say quite happy with what I'm doing right now, yeah. So, I have been placed in initially uh, in a gastro ward or, you know, the team of gastro. However, because the hospital is currently undergoing a lot of arrangements uh, in terms of changing wards based system so currently on on the clean or the green wards so only covering patients who are not confirmed COVID patients mm. and i will stay on this clean rotations in the next week to come so at the moment that's how it is we have been told by our team that actually the best thing to do is keep the team divided into clean and we say dirty, but the official term is yellow, green and yellow. And uh, we'll keep working until someone, say, have to self-isolate and um, get ill. Then we might have to switch staff around. But at the moment, I will stay on the clean team for the foreseeable future. So it is a bank, flexible, completely flexible um, contract on a four weeks rolling basis. So after four weeks, the hospital might review it and see if we, you know, we are still needed on, you know, the water or not. However, at the moment, entirely, entirely up to me when I work and which date of the week I, I'll be working. I'll say um, it's very, you know, natural to feel worried and feel slightly anxious about uncertainties and starting something that you were expecting to to do in you know not now but 
in four months' time. And so I'll say very natural to feel that way. Also, I would say it's very important to reach out to your local medical school uh, or perhaps get a representative for your year um, to actually communicate with the medical school officially, seeking for clarification what is going on and um, perhaps keeping in touch with them um, regularly checking up for update, uh, checking for updates and uh, ensuring also to speak nationally to other medical schools, um, students around the country to see what's been going on um, so that you can, you know, uh, make sure that your medical school um, can help you as much as other medical schools around the country. I would say just reach out to people to ensure that um, any queries answered, for example, on the wards, if you have any, if you were to start working soon, I'll say just ask on the registrars and on the foundation doctors, anything that you're worried about, because from my experience, everyone has been really welcoming and always, you know, looking out for us, making sure we have lunch, making sure we have a break, and um, making sure that we're comfortable with what we're doing. I personally have never been asked to do anything that I feel like, oh my God, I don't know what's going on. And um, so I'll say just ask, and, and then we'll just, you know, make sure to keep updated with everyone around you. So that would be my advice. So I think what was really interesting for me when I was speaking to Tanya was kind of how quickly her med school had got everything organised and it really sounded like, you know, other med schools could potentially learn some stuff from um, how the whole thing was set up. But Declan, that's your med school, right? Is it? Um, are, they, are they renowned for being uh, well, very good? They're a good med school, you know, they produce some good doctors, what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> but on a serious note, like, Laura, like, how would you feel if that was you? Like, do, oh, would you feel ready to so do many that? Times I've imagined myself like being formally called up. Like, so far, nothing like that has happened, and uh, there's been no indication that is going to happen. Well, since since the beginning of the COVID outbreak, not just in general, you sit around like daydreaming about being graduated early. <laughs> yeah, no, specifically since the beginning of the outbreak, I've been, <laughs> I've just sort of wondered, you know, what that's because so many of my friends are going through it right now. My final year friends are experiencing that um that uncertainty about where they're going to be called up i don't have that uncertainty that doesn't look like there's gonna be any of that for me but i've just thought if that were me right now wondering if when how could i oh i'd just be quaking in my boots i mean i'm, I'm not mm. finished with med school yet and that is part of it i kept trying to calm myself down when my heart rate started going up i'd be like it's fine <laughs> in a year's time i will be more prepared and my final year pals are more prepared than i currently am right now but um I can totally understand why Tanya was initially anxious when she was thinking about her induction. Um, but it's just so great and reassuring to hear how her contract has worked out, how it's flexible, sort of the bank system. So, you know, for me, as someone still studying, who's not done my finals, you know, that that would be something that would be really important to me, that if I was going to volunteer or sign up to um, a job, that I'd want something that would be flexible, I could do... Um, you know, up to two days a week kind of thing and balance around my studies. And it's also so great to hear how she feels supported in the workplace that she has found that, like, she's even received teaching. That's just so great. Like, I know that there's so many students who feel like they're missing out on that. And in my university, final year students are encouraged to keep going to their placements, their final sort of apprenticeship block um, until med schools, until the hospitals or GP practices where they're supposed to be based to say please stop coming yeah I think all of them have now stopped but whilst they were still trying to attend people were feeling like 
you know, that it takes a lot of goodwill for them to still receive teaching. And that is, that's true. It does take goodwill at a time like this where there's so many other pressures on the teaching doctors. Um, so, yeah, I'm absolutely buzzing to hear that Tanya feels like she's getting some teaching alongside the buzz of contributing to a team. That it, I mean, it sounds like it's worked out really well for her. If something like that could be done in my area, then that would be something I'd be well keen for. Yeah. And I think other um, other students who are perhaps not final years have also moved into the clinical environment doing things like I've heard about people um, training to be HCAs, yeah. um, healthcare assistants, mm-hmm. and... Um, people also doing clerical work working for 111 um so there's a real there is a real range um of things that i have yeah. heard about people yeah. doing Not to mention, like, and i guess because like non-hospital things like looking after key workers kids or pets yeah we're gonna yeah. we're gonna talk yeah. about that later Sorry. don't worry <laughs> rain it rain in, in. <laughs> um no yeah so so Declan like from your point of view do you think that a final year medical student well obviously they'll probably be like graduated doctors by the time they actually get to the wards but do you think that there is goodwill there like people will be happy to see them yeah certainly um it's great to hear kind of Tanya's experience and I'd be fairly confident to think that that experience would be consistent I think one important thing to kind of remember is like this COVID thing is probably going to be with us for a while. So there's a, there is a real sense of um, togetherness almost with especially the doctors um, and trying to maintain some sort of normality as well. So it was good to see that she is still getting her teaching. In terms of whether they'll be wanted, like, yes, certainly. There's going to be a lot more patients coming in. And, I mean, even if it was to do something like phlebotomy, you know, you were saying about the non-final med students doing jobs if you had a phlebotomist to go around and take all your bloods that would really free up time for those of us who have nearly a year's experience now Um, yeah that's what my sister was saying so my sister's a nurse and she works on an acute medical unit in the middle of london which has been one of the hardest hit places and she was like i was i was discussing what was what was going to be happening to her and she's not sure if her ward is going to get any new doctors but she was like oh it'd be amazing if they could come in and be flebs because we just don't have time to do bloods and stuff and now they're trying to like accelerate her through the like phlebotomy training because nurses don't necessarily learn how to do it during their degrees Mm, yeah Um, but i mean even like lots of nurses aren't too confident with titrating oxygen and stuff like that so if you had a medical student to come and do all the bloods it lets the nurses because the nurses are having to learn new things at the moment as well mm. the respiratory nurses will be fine who are used to this kind of thing but there's going to be covid on every ward irrespective to the specialty so i mean they will it's great that they're training up the nurses but to get this new influx of keen and you know you're in final year med, med school you're very good and you know a lot to have that influx of of people will be really helpful really that's, nice that is hear. that is really nice really to nice. hear yeah it's like so yeah. nice to feel wanted and important, and important <laughs> wanted. <as> it is yeah. <laughs> so many actually quite a lot of my family have been like my nan texts me being like will you be going to the hospital then you'll be going back to the hospital i'm like mm, probably not <laughs> i can't really remember very much i would i would need like a real good easing back in like <laughs> yeah. after having not done any medicine for like seven months but then that's another thing that's happening isn't it like people are being invited back to practice who have retired um within the last three years and things like that so i guess there's going to be 
kind of a huge influx of people who might not necessarily be so familiar with things like the systems and you know where everything is I, i guess which i think would be one of my big concerns like on a new ward like you don't even know where to get like a cannula from yeah yeah i mean i guess the main thing really is knowing your know your own competency and don't go above it you know because whether you're in a, you're a retired doctor coming back in or you're a, a finally a med student going into the wards i think you know practicing safe medicine and not you know being sensible and not doing things beyond your limits is really something to always keep in the back of your mind yeah and this is a time where you know you can see that that might potentially be a bit more challenging than normal situation right so yeah i think that's a great thing to to emphasize and um i'm sure like that's emphasized in all the kind of official guidance that i've seen about what roles people should be taking up and things like that but i think it's important that we touch on that as well one part of tanya's story that was very similar to my own experience was how her med school let her know that placements and electives were cancelled really early on uh, which is something that I also had. Um, and while I'm very confident that the med school will like help us complete all the placements that we need to complete to be able to do med school, um, the elective has definitely just been cancelled and is not something we'll ever be able to squeeze into another part of the degree. So that's something... I mean, she didn't talk about that particularly, but it's something that is on my mind so much, so I'm just going to shoehorn it in because it's something that has just been on my mind. No, that's... Laura, I was going to ask you about that. Thank you, Anna. Because I knew you wanted yes, to talk Anna, about you it. Know, so. you, know, <laughs> you know my feelings. <laughs> you know my grief. I've been planning to uh, my elective since during my year at the BMJ. So it's been like 18 months that I've been planning my um, elective. Um, and it's a, it's like it's a, it's a proper little mini grieving process to undo it, undo everything. You know, I've got a sense of loss. I don't get to do it. I do think I do think about that sometimes. I take a big, take a deep breath and carry on. But it is it's quite sore um, having to give back the money that I'd raised to. Um, uh, you know, I got my mum to make me a whole bunch of skirts because that was something that I've had to wear for where I was going. Um, that <laughs> they're just they're just in my cupboard now. This massive pile of skirts that are not not really my vibe. And sort of you know I haven't heard back from my elective coordinator yet, but I'm just so gutted that I, after so long of discussing the elective with her and so much research into the the hospital I'm going to and the environment and the culture I've read so many novels about the country I was just so excited man um and uh, you know I'm I mean that is that is extremely sweet you sound (laughs) very prepared (laughs) yeah I mean I just I just feel so like it I was building up to it as I've been I've been looking forward to it for a long time but I was really starting to get into the point where I was even starting to get nervous about it. Like, what's it going to be like going to a completely different country with a completely different way of practicing and um, doing my best? Like, I've got some flashcards with some local language. Oh, man, I could just go on and on. And I can hear myself going on and on. But um, it's, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a loss that impacts many people. It's not like a, it's not like a loss of a loved one or anything like that. But it's, that's, that's what I'm processing most of all at the moment. Yeah, and I think a lot of people will be feeling that, not just not just for an elective but you know I know people who are now never going to get to do a paediatric block or never going to get to do an obs and gynae block and you know that those are things they were interested in and things that they potentially wanted to you know have jobs in in the future and obviously it won't stop them from from doing that but I think for a lot of people that you know that's that's a huge part of like med school to miss out on and 
I would have been really upset if I missed my P's rotation. And something that cuddled so I'm many great babies of myself, and I'm sure that many med students are questioning of themselves, is that when it does come to their finals, are they going to be as prepared as their colleagues? You know, are the people who are missing P's going to be as prepared for that part of their exams? And you know, for me, when it comes to electives, I was something I was so surprised by when I when all my mates came back from elect- from their electives last year was seeing just how much more confident they seemed, how much more doctory. Like, I wouldn't say that they've, they wouldn't say that they were more confident, but just that the way they talked about hospital and patients and diseases, they, they just sounded so much more doctory. And for quite a while, I sort of had it in myself, like, am I going to be very doctory if I don't have my elective? And maybe other people are feeling that about these specialist placements that they're missing. Am I going to be very doctory if I miss out on this massive component of my degree? Um, but I've been reassured by uh, Twitter chat by some doctors and Twitter, med students on Twitter that, Many people do electives that aren't clinical. They do them in policy or in journalism, things like that, and they still come out the other end ready and doctory. So that's been reassuring for me, thinking about, you know, even people who take a nine-week break from when they, other people are doing clinical placements, they end up in the same place as being a doctor. So I found that quite helpful when thinking about um, what it's going to be like when I do get into my final year, having, not, having missed a whole bunch of stuff. Mm. I guess it's the same for you, Declan, because what rotation are you missing? Um, so I'm missing my emergency rotation. Oh. Yeah, which I am a little bit gutted about. Um, not that I want to do emergency, but um, it would be quite nice to be at the front door seeing such a variety of presentations and everything. So, yeah, I feel like I might, you know, I feel like I might be neglecting kind of my progress as a as a doctor, really, by, by missing that out. Mm. Um but yeah, it's just one of those things, really. I mean, that's what we all. I guess at least you've already done your. Uh, at least you've already done your academic block. Oh god! Because I've like oh, seen people oh, being like, oh, "I had this project planned, yeah. and now I'm not going to be able to do it." I, and... I would be. So there's a there's a girl in my trust um, who isn't getting to do her research, and the only reason she's in Newcastle is to do that research, and that's what a nightmare. I would be raging. Um, yeah. I would, I would, I would. Don't know how I'd cope. <laughs> I feel so, bad, I feel so bad, bad times for Honestly, everyone. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess what we've got from this is that um, everyone's uncertain, and everyone is perhaps missing out on things that yeah. they wanted to be doing. And it's okay for us to collectively be sad about that, despite the fact that it's might seem quote unquote negligible compared to like other losses that people are experiencing like throughout this whole i just want to say shitty situation but that's what it is isn't it that's what it is um so okay we're going to discuss what you might be able to do to help if you're not finding a medical student but first a message from our sponsors how much do you care about indemnity right now probably not a lot You're still a few years away from really worrying about claims and complaints from patients. But being part of medical protection is about a lot more than just indemnity. We can be there if something goes wrong, but we're also here to help make sure things go right too. We're the only medical defence organisation that protects doctors all over the world. From London to Brisbane, Cork to Cape Town, 300,000 members benefit from our expert advice and support throughout their career. During your years at medical school, your membership is completely free. You'll get training resources that can help you become an even better doctor 
plus a dedicated student team there for you when you need it most. And when it comes to your elective, you can trust in our international experience to protect you wherever you choose to go. It's no wonder that 90% of medical students in the UK choose to be part of medical protection. You can find out more at medicalprotection.org. Okay, back to the show. So whilst final years are still waiting to be allocated to these kind of FY1 interim posts, there's also lots of med students out there who aren't final years, um, who are still really wanting to help and maybe having a little bit more free time um, at this time of year than they're normally used to. Um, So I know that lots of kind of local initiatives have sprung up on Facebook and things like that, many of which are some of the things that Laura kind of touched upon earlier, helping med students, helping like healthcare workers with childcare or walking dogs or getting shopping. So I spoke to some med students in Scotland who've been kind of helping to link med students up um, and helping them find stuff to do um, using an app that they've developed. So let's hear from Cassie and Ron. I'm Cassandra and I am a second year graduate medical student on the Scott Gem program in Scotland. And hi, my name's Ronald McDonald. I am a first year medical student based on in Scotland on the Scott Gem program as well. Ronald and I are here to chat about um, an organization that we created called Healthship, which stands for Health Students Helping in Pandemics. And what the organization has done is created a web-based app that allows students to offer their help and their time to frontline healthcare staff that might be in need of childcare or pet care or medicines pickup, grocery shopping, etc. I was um, sitting in my bed one night eating some cookies and thought to myself, what am I going to do with the next three months of my life when I don't have to go to school? I don't have to really do much. And then I also thought to myself, oh, um, you know, we've got to go grocery shopping this week. We've got to do this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, who is going to be doing that for the frontline staff? And I was like, we could be doing that for the frontline staff. So then I just tweeted, you know, my little crazy Twitter fingers in bed, like, if if the if the staff needs help, like us students can can watch after kids. And then it just became really popular the street. So I was like, maybe we're onto something here. Maybe we really can help. And that's kind of how it came about. So I, I just sort of jumped in as soon as uh, Cassandra sort of reached out looking for people. Uh, yes, yeah, so I used to work both public and private sector doing software engineering uh, before I started on the Scotch Gym program. Usually my tweets like get one like or two likes. So I was like, what is this feeling <laughs> that other people are liking my tweet? It was um, incredible. But I also, it gave me a lot of confidence to then say, wow, how do we take this forward? You know, if only 10 people had said, oh, that's a good idea, I would have been like, yeah, that's a good idea, okay, on to the next thing. But since so many people around the country and even across borders were like, this is a good idea, I said, okay, okay, I feel like I now have a duty to kind of like deliver on this. And um, Ron's super modest. Um, we, I called him probably like 12 hours after the tweet went out. And so he's he's really been involved. Like he's a lot of the brains behind this for sure. Um He's not just like the coder or whatever. He's been really a, a massive part. We couldn't have done this without him. I just want to say that. Whether that goes in the recording or not, it doesn't really matter. But I just want you to know that he's really modest. And... Oh, I'm going to cry now. <laughs> <laughs> That's very sweet of you. So at the moment, uh, we've just got three or four tasks that people can sign up to. They come into broad categories of 
caring or um, going doing groceries for people or um, picking up medicines um, and pet care. And these are things that people have said to us that they need right now. Um, Cassandra and I have been going back and forth over the past 24, 48 hours. Um, this has really quite ex- exploded quite a lot. We've got 600 users now. Uh, and and we, we're sort of going back now and sort of back to basics, trying to see what else people are looking for. And we may yet, you know, maybe by the time this podcast goes out, but we may yet um, add to the types of tasks that people might be wanting to pick up and that sort of thing. But it's really, it's user-led, you know, and, and I think that feedback from users uh, is really, really important because um, we we can't predict the ways in which this product's going to be used uh, and indeed, even even now, even the early stages, the ways that people that have been using it are actually been not um, not surprisingly, I suppose, but just a little different from what we envisaged in in a good way. And I think that that's that's all really positive. So um, yeah, so we'll see we'll see how it progresses. Maybe by the time this goes out, we might have you know a a, a different way of having the tasks lined up for people. So you can't use the site first of all unless you are. Um, either a student with an ACUK address or NHS staff, so that's going to be an NHS.net email address or an NHS.uk address. So you can't even get onto the system without uh, one of those two things. And then after that, uh, we do ask students to then let us know whether or not they've got what we would call in Scotland as a PVG, what I understand you call down south as a DBS check. And then as part of the recommendations, when students are actually going to the house to, to help out, they are expected to take with them their certificate and the person who is requesting the help is expected to ask for it as well. And all of those, all of those terms, conditions, uh, you know, they're all, they're all quite clearly laid out on the site. They were so, so lovely to speak to. And the app they've set up is, is really cool because, um, part of what we chatted about, which, um, kind of didn't make it into that little clip was that um you know that people set up these facebook groups and things but you have to do it all manually and you have to like manually check people and manually link people up and that's fine when you have 10 people but this could potentially be you know 10,000 medical students who want to help and however many thousand healthcare workers um that might want to access some of that help so they've kind of built this system to be like automated and they can kind of leave it and it will still keep going and working and and no one needs to go in there and like manually do anything and match match people up which i thought was really cool um i know right but larry you must have heard of like other med students doing stuff like this right has anyone at your med school been doing stuff so good pal of mine georgie goodwood she actually lives she is currently right now like 500 meters up the road and i cannot see her it's really odd anyway my pal georgie from she's my she's my pal from around here but also from uni um she like similar to cassandra has like really early on thought hey this is something that med students could do and started trying to set it up in uh our uni in our area specifically um and she quickly got linked up via twitter to someone called Roshanna in a different part of the UK doing doing it in their area trying to sort of coordinate all different Facebook groups and so on that are doing it in that, that sort of manual way that you described um, 
And so she, yeah, so she quite quickly got involved in the sort of the national national levels. So they've got a website called National Health Supporters, um, and all that does at the moment is is it signposts you to what's going on in your area. And I found it so helpful because obviously I know what's going on in Cambridge through my mate Georgie and through everyone else who's still based in Cambridge. But around here, like I don't, I wouldn't know what was going on uh, for med students in this area. Was it were it not for that um, National Health Supporters website that points me to the sort of the Leeds and West Yorkshire um, hub of things being organised for med students to help key workers. So um, I am so grateful that people have the initiative and smarts to um, to organise things like that so quickly. I, I don't know. I just, I'm in just such admiration and awe of Georgie and others and Cassandra and Ronald and others who have an idea and then make it happen. And it's just, it's just wicked. It's the best of people, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And obviously also there's the kind of national volunteering scheme that's been set up by the government, which obviously med students like are free to get involved in. I have signed up. Have you heard from um, me yet? I've also signed up. To... No, I, the the thing is the only thing I can do is like the um, mm. calling people mm. thing because I don't have yeah. a car. Um, I suppose yeah. I could run to see people, but that's not, <laughs> can't really carry yeah. very much. <laughs> um, yeah. So so that's the only thing I can do. So I don't know how much demand there is yeah. for, for, for that kind of thing. I mean, I so, if, but yeah, if, I'm waiting. You know, you'll hear about that that demand far sooner than us because you you live nearer london than me so uh yeah do let me know when you do yes true curious as tell, I, guess. I will and i think that there's other things that so like you were saying earlier laura i think there's probably a lot of people who are kind of sitting feeling guilty that they're not doing more because you know they have some clinical training or whatever but i think i think there's a lot that you can do like from from your own home really and and i think part of that is like the whole kind of social media like helping people out you were talking about the twitter chat and um I, I know some other people who have been translating like covid guidelines into various different languages so that they can be used by loads of different communities which i thought was just awesome because you know that's such a valuable service mm. and and you don't need to you know be working in a hospital to do that like anyone can do that from their home which i thought was really cool and actually at the um being kind of where I am at the moment I keep getting emails from people telling me more about like the cool stuff that they're doing um and I'm like oh my god I can't I can't like write an article about every single one of these um but I'm trying to I'm trying to write an article at the moment that's about like kind of pulling together some of this stuff and um talking about all the great stuff that med students are doing I want to read that Um, (laughs) (laughs) well hopefully you will be able to soon people want it please write it (laughs) (laughs) What about in your area, Declan? I don't suppose. I, I guess you're not really clued in with the med students. <laughs> yeah, man. Declan, you're not doing enough. You should be getting <laughs> some old lady her groceries I, I, as well. I can't really claim to know anything. <laughs> to be honest, you probably want to cut this bit out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you're telling me that you haven't got onto one of those groups and requested help with, no. uh, you know, getting you some groceries? Yeah, I, I live with my mum and dad. That's all the help I need, isn't it? Um, no, but. Uh, to be honest, I go to work and I come home and I I write and then I go to sleep. So sorry. That's okay. We we forgive you. Thanks. You're you're, you're a, a key worker. I am so, so key. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, Declan. Why would we ever cut out something where you're the butt of a joke? It just doesn't happen. Yeah, I know. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, I feel like we haven't really ribbed you enough, and I think it's because we're feeling kind. <laughs> <laughs> because of the whole situation. <laughs> 
Well, you're looking extremely well, um, based Thanks. on the, the, the extremely <laughs> poor quality video that I can see of you. So. Yeah, me. It's, it's a cheap laptop. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. I think we've kind of talked about everything that I wanted to talk about. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to, I guess, as a last thing, like say thank you to all the people who have spoken to me, who have taken time out of their days to, you know, have a have a chat with me about what they've been doing. Um, and I'd like to say thank you to someone who is basically, you know, he's a very important member of the Sharp Scratch team, but I don't feel like he gets enough credit. So thank you to Dom, <laughs> who is our producer, who <laughs> has helped me set like my microphone up at home and stuff um so that we can still put sharp scratch out even though we're all safely distancing from one another um so thank you so much dom for doing all the cutting so that we can get this out before it goes out of date which will be very soon i'm sure <laughs> i think covid will be with us and we'll go it did <laughs> no but i mean the actual like information because oh, okay. it seems to be going out of date in like very rapidly but i guess you know also thank you to everyone who's out there like doing their bit be that a nurse a doctor someone who works in a supermarket making sure that we can all still get groceries and stuff you're all amazing um at least i think you are so So, yeah yeah. thanks so much equally agree do you think you're amazing Declan? we think you're brilliant i'm unreal That's all from us on Sharp Scratch today. If you'd like to hear more from our regular episodes, subscribe to Sharp Scratch wherever you get your podcasts, and in two weeks' time, you'll get our next episode straight to your phone. We're also putting out loads of useful stuff um, around COVID-19 on our social media channels, so if you're interested, um, we're BMJ Student on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And do let us know what you think about this podcast or any of our other content on any of those channels. We'll be back to our regular... programming with a little bit of covid um here and there whenever we need to um but until then it's goodbye from all of us Bye. bye, bye. bye.